You're listening to the Exeter Vineyard Church podcast. New episodes each week. To watch the full video version of this podcast, head over to our website, www.exe.vin forward slash podcast. So we are looking through the book of Colossians, which is a New Testament letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a church he hadn't started, he'd never visited, but he'd heard from the person who did start it some really good things. And so he's writing them a letter. And we have been working through, I think we're spending eight weeks working through a block at a time. Today we are looking at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And... um, Today, actually, I kind of feel what's in the book is, I mean, this radical as it sounds, I feel like what's in the Bible is pretty good on its own. So, um, so often, when I, I have, my notes are like bullet points, I can have up to like eight, nine pages of, I've got three today, because what I'm going to do is uh, we're going to look at the... Uh, I feel like I'm just giving commentary and context on what Paul's saying. So I'm just going to use, read some of the Bible, but I'm not going to read the real Bible. So we have, there's this uh, spiritual exercise you can do we call digging for gems. It's really good to do for New Testament letters. New Testament letters are like your granny's fruitcake, you know, like they're just so full of, uh, of stuff that it just like weighs you down and dries out your mouth and stuff. Because what happens when you read... Our, well, maybe it's just me, but I think it's a lot of people. You read these stuff, and it kind of goes, you get a bit of brain fog as you do it, and you kind of glaze over, and you just go through, and you're like, yeah, that's good. Some of that stuff's bad. You know, and um, digging for gems is when you rewrite it in your own language, in your own words, and you imagine that you're writing it so someone who's never been to church before would be able to understand it. So words like righteousness and holy and you know, salvation, all that. You've got to unpack each of those words and give them meaning. So you end up writing a lot more. But what's really good is just getting under you like, well, how does this, why does this sentence go after this sentence? How does it all fit together? So I find it really good. So what I'm going to do is just read out what I wrote down when I did my digging for gems exercise. Um, So today, there's a lot of kind of like language in today's thing that actually can be quite hard work. So an example that I'm not going to go on is like the language he talks about what uh, our sinful nature does. And it's so easy to read those words and think, glad he's not talking about me, (laughs) you know, because these are like, these are big words. And actually, we kind of need to get under them. But today, the thing I want to look at is he's talking about reality. And he uses like different words that we might have certain associations with. So when we hear the word heaven or heavenly, I think we're often tempted to think of there's somewhere up there on a cloud. You know, that's something to do with that. And that's not really what Paul's trying to get at. He's trying to talk about what the nature of the universe we find ourselves in. What What is true reality? Not the reality that as we experience it, but what is reality from God's perspective? You know, it's a bit like the matrix, you know, the matrix is the world pulled down over your eyes, but there's something deeper and in the matrix terrifying going on underneath. Fortunately for us, there's something deeper and wonderful going on just behind the the world we see. So Paul has been talking, so he's talking about God had always had a plan to sort out the brokenness of creation. You know, this perfect universe he created, got broken. He's always had a plan to sort it out. It's only now we understand what that plan is. No one 
No one anticipated that God himself would come and live among us and then ultimately die to repair this universe. So he's been talking about that. So what he's doing is kind of giving us this overview of what's really going on in the world. So um, we're gonna, if this works, so we're gonna, I'm going to kind of give you like a, like a plan of the history of the universe, okay? And just... Well, not even universe, creation. It got, like, it's before the universe. So God exists before anything, before time. God is there. And God creates t- the time-space universe, which is perfect. And the way we should think about perfection isn't just that when you drop your toast, it lands butter side up or, you know, or whatever it is. You know, whatever whatever's your personal deep frustration with the universe. That's just my deep frustration with the universe. Um, perfection is really that God, God who is perfect, dwells fully in the creation. So we read in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, that God exists with his creation, walking around, enjoying one another's company, having a great time. But then, third chapter, we've hardly got into this whole thing. Humans decide, actually, maybe we know better than God. Maybe we'll do something different. And it gets broken. And so the theological term for that is the fall, and, that, and then we enter into imperfection. The universe becomes imperfect. These colors, these colors would be great if this was a big LCD TV, but uh, imperfect. So this is the current age we live in, and the best way to think about imperfection isn't anything to do with toast. It is to do with the separation that God has removed himself from creation because his perfection would just destroy all imperfection. You know, his perfection is so overpowering. But because he loves us, he doesn't want us all to get burnt up and we are imperfect. He withdraws and removes himself. And I think, I may be getting confused. Anyway, we talked about this. There was always this idea of God's presence still in creation with the promises, the law, and then we had the holies of the holy in the tabernacle, in the temple. Anyway, so we live in this imperfection, and they know, like we're told right back from the start, there's this coming thing that's called the day of the Lord, or we might call it judgment day. And at that point, God was going to sort out and restore perfection. So there's all these different names that will get used for that. So this current age is talked about now, our imperfection, and the age to come, or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, all those things get uh, talked about. So when we are talking about, you know, it's great, what Christians, what, you know, we have an eternity to look forward to in heaven, that isn't going and sitting on a cloud. That is living in a perfect universe with God present in that universe. Uh, in physical bodies, we won't have wings, we don't have to play harps. It is not an eternal church service. You know, the most, the most horrifying idea of what eternity might be is this, for eternity. Um, it's not that. It's not singing shine, Jesus, shine, until you run out of, you know, like, but you never run out because it's eternity. Uh, it, is, it is living a, like, in the most vibrant, full life you can imagine, full of uh, activity, work, relationships, enjoyment, all those things uh, with God present. So this is, the, this is what they knew. For, this is what they knew was going to happen. Just no one knew how it was going to happen. And this was the surprise. So in the middle of the imperfect age, this Jesus turns up. And what we see in Jesus is the 
perfection of the age to come breaking in. So Jesus is healing people. In the perfect, there's no disease. So he's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. There's no death in the age to come. He is forgiving sins. All sins are forgiven in the age to come. He starts to take on himself these characteristics that they know in the, the story. They Well, only God can sort all this out. Only God can repair that. Jesus starts doing it. And then Jesus goes to the cross. But And so the cross for Jesus was like the day of the Lord, judgment day coming forward. So that thing, is so there's all that symbolism in the story, the three hours of darkness covering the land, the curtain being torn, all this stuff um, is judgment day has arrived, but just on one person. But the invitation for us is to go into that person the same way Noah and his family went into the ark and escaped the judgment of the flood. We are invited into Jesus. So that phrase you see in the Bible a lot, being in Jesus. We're invited to go into Jesus and go through judgment day with him. And the resurrection is this idea that the the perfection can't be held down. So even death, which is the which is the, the governing factor of the imperfect age, de- death and decay, is beaten on the cross. And because of that, the age to come starts to break into the current age. And so this is where we live. So if you want to find yourself on this, that's where you are. You are here. You are in the imperfect age, but you are starting to experience the perfection of the age to come, which is why so much of what we uh, do is, tr- is understanding that the age to come, the kingdom of God, can break into our lives here and now. So we talk about, you know, experiencing that deep sense of peace uh, despite all your circumstances. We pray that people will experience healing. We, um, you know, we try to, or we're learning to act lovingly and prefer others. All these things is the age to come. So, uh, reading from my bit of Colossians, this is what Paul writes. He writes this, So, you have died in Jesus and been raised up to new life, resurrection life, in Jesus. This is the absolute true reality, reality from God's perspective. So, start to live in this new reality instead of the temporary, shadowy imitation that is the world we see around us. In the true reality, Jesus, the source of your life, is enthroned with the Father. He has all power, all authority, and all honor. Uh, then there's some other bits. He goes this. Rather, you are, now, you are now alive with true life. For the moment, all the wondrous glory of this new life may be hidden out of our sight with Jesus. But one day, when this temporary reality is done with, and the true heavenly reality is revealed with Christ at the front and in the center of it, then the true you will also be revealed, and we will all experience Jesus's glory. So this is the kind of setting that Paul's taken in this chapter. It's like, how do we start to live in true reality? How do we stop being influenced by the kind of the world we see around us and think this is what everything is. You know, you open the newspaper and it's absolutely depressing and you look at your own lives and it's depressing and, uh, well, mine is anyway, and, you know, like your body aches and, you know, stuff's going wrong and all this and you're, you know, all these things that are going on and -and so-and-so's upset with you and you're upset with so-and-so, all that. That is this reality. But Paul's saying, look, 
we, we don't, this isn't for us now. We need to understand there's a deeper reality behind all this stuff we see. And this is Paul saying, now we start to live, we start to live in the light of real reality. Stop living as if this is the best it gets. And he talks about this in very practical ways. So he writes this, so reorient yourself, your thoughts and preoccupations around the heavenly reality rather than being caught up and distracted by the shadowy, temporary concerns of this world. Because you have died in Jesus, so all the claims this world has on you, your priorities, what drives you, even the inevitability of death, now have no power of you. The laws of a country don't apply to someone who is dead. So he's saying, look, this is, this is all changed now because of what Jesus has done. And so understand everything's different. Stop living as if you're the same as everyone else. And this is what I think is a real challenge. You know, like, if we're real about our lives, how different are we from other people around us? How different are our concerns, our priorities, what we think is important, how we structure and live our life from anyone else? Because Paul's saying the whole world is, like, the universe is different now. And we should live like that. It, you might not see it clearly, and other people might not see it at all, but this is the r- true reality. And so this outworks in the way we see our lives. He says this. So start, this is in verse 10. So start to live differently. Have a different view and perspective, different priorities and ideas of success and failure, different practices and habits, different attitudes to people and things, being secure in different ways. So what's interesting, because we think the Bible often is a list of do's and don'ts, Paul's saying, Understand your identity is different. The reality is different. And then this works out in how we act. He's not saying, look, just, you're the same. The same. You just need to work harder, try harder than everybody else. So it's, it's how it outworks in us. That's important. He says this in uh, verses somewhere after verse 12. Uh, he says this. So live this reality out behaving with soft-hearted mercy, being kind, putting others first, being gentle and patient. Go easy on others. No one is perfect, but when you get upset with other people's faults, you make a mockery of God forgiving you. Your faults stink to high heaven, for what did God do? Forgave all of them completely. And to be like God in this new reality, you should also forgive. All of this new life living, sorry, all of this new life living can be summed up with love. Love is the force that covers us in this new life. Love is our ethnicity, our family, and our nation. Love is what unifies and brings us together. I think there's a real challenge for us there, the way we treat other people, our opinions, our attitudes to other people, even the thoughts that nobody else knows that we have about other people. Because there's this driver here that the new reality is one of love and, well, love is at the center. And I think this idea of forgiveness, of not holding grudges, not getting upset, not being offended is so important because it's so easy for us to do. Yet this is one of the the best ways, I think, one of the starting ways that Paul's saying of us to be different from the world around us is to start to treat other people differently. And he draws it back to what, how Jesus did to us, you know, that we have, you know, we are no, I mean, that isn't that the most 
problematic thing when someone's moaning about someone else and you're listening to them moaning and you're thinking, you're exactly like this too. <laughs> you know, like it's so ridiculous, all of that. And yet we've got to start to understand um, how important that is. I think one of the things you often hear you know, people say about others, and it's kind of like sometimes said as a compliment, but, you know, doesn't suffer fools gladly, you know, like that. I just think that's an awful indictment of somebody. Right, let's just be patient and kind to fools, okay? Um, you know, because, uh, because we are all foolish in our own different ways. And as Obi-Wan Kenobi said, who's the fool? The, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows fool? Do you know one remember that from Star Wars? Okay, just me. Um, so we have a call, or it's an invitation really, to live in this new reality, radically different from the people around us. Paul is saying, this is the truth, this is what's going on. I'm giving you the inside view on something that people for millennia wanted to know how this would work. We now know, we have an invitation to live in it, so make that choice to live in it. Don't go on with the rest of your life as if this isn't true. Don't live as if the, your ultimate security is in your bank balance or your skills or your looks or, or your relational capital, whatever it is. All those things are going to fade. They're temporary. You have this opportunity to live in a secure reality with God at the center. And this allows us, if we do that, allows us not only to discover what real life is. You know, real life isn't the abundance of our staff, isn't, isn't how many certificates we have, our qualifications, you know, isn't our job title. Real life is found in what God is doing. We also discover the person God created us to be. All those things that we, uh, our own peculiarities, we start to discover the redemptive uniqueness about it. Those things that God has put in us that are amazing, that he's made us to have, and that for a long time we can think, oh, I wish I wasn't like this. You know, I wish I didn't have this thing. We start to discover in this new reality why those things are good. And the, and the negative effects of those, we start to, because we're more secure and God's more at the center, we start to not fall into those traps. It's also the way that we start to make a difference in the world around us. And we discover that this invitation isn't just to a new reality, isn't just to us being transformed, isn't just to uh, find the person we're created to be, but it's to co-work with God to start his project, this kind of like the breaking in of the kingdom to come, to start working in this towards the day when God will come and complete it. So uh, he, in this, this passage, it finishes this with this. And remember, your new life is in Jesus, so your whole life now represents this true reality. You are the window for non-believers to see into the truth hidden behind this temporary current age. So in us and in our lives, people start to glimpse Jesus. For God, to, for God to want to use us, works in progress as we are, in such a way is amazing honor and privilege. So let that sink in. For the only response to this is deep thankfulness that God, our Heavenly Father, is making us into a visible image of our Lord Jesus. So the response I want to put out to us is how do we decide, how do we make that conscious choice to live in the reality, the true reality, God's reality, instead of this temporary world? And right at the start of this passage, I want to go back to, this is from the proper Bible now. It says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to, the, to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
This idea that what we put our minds on has a massive influence in us. There's somewhere else in the Bible it says that we take captive every thought. You know, it's these things that choose how we prioritize, spend our life, what we do, what we watch on TV, what we listen to, who we hang around with. For a number of years, I had this deep sense of shame just in my life for things, and I felt really ashamed. I didn't really believe that God had forgiven me. And I had this amazing thing I realized that would go on that was when nothing else was happening, like in an absent moment, my, my brain would be like, you know, like on a computer when you type into search for something and it's like looking through all your files. My brain would go on search. What, there must be something I should feel ashamed for. Let me hang this feeling on something to feel ashamed for. I was given permission for my thoughts to pull me into something that was not part of God's reality. You know, God's reality has dealt with all of that. Other people, if anxiety is your base, you, um, you might know this, if anxiety is your kind of foundation, what happens is when everything's going well, you start thinking, yeah, but what could go wrong? And you start this search, you know, like, oh, well, that could go wrong, or that could go wrong. And we start living in the worst-case scenarios. It's another thing that we need to decide. I'm going to set my thoughts on the things of heaven. God is in control. God is in charge. God is Jesus, who we are in, is now seated at the right hand of God with all power and authority. Those are things we should think about. And so I would really recommend you find an aspect of this new reality, a truth from the Bible, to have, to, to counter whatever your temptation is with this current reality. So I have some here. Uh, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That is the true reality. If you're thinking, I'm not sure God's with me at the moment, maybe meditate on that. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You know, those sense of hopelessnesses we can have. Uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, that when we've got those struggles that just we don't seem to get beyond. Um, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you know, like, this is a massive one. Believing that God is pleased that, you've, that he's invited you. He's not done it grudgingly. Oh, well, I guess so. It's my job description. I've got to love you. God is pleased about us. Um, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For your Lord God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. These are just a selection. I found these by Googling encouraging Bible verses. <laughs> and they were all on one, one web page. But this is where we have to, you know, I know it's so tempting. You do this like we're in here, you do this, and you're going to go home and get on with your rest of your day. Just maybe think, what is it? What is it of this current age, this imperfect age, that is knocking me because it ends up being in my thoughts? And then what can I find using Google? That's fine. Bible verses about, find a truth of the age to come and just write it and stick it on your mirror when you clean your teeth or, you know, like have it pop up as a reminder on your phone at midday every day. Something about the truth of the reality to come and we start to set our minds on that. Paul says this is the avenue, the route to becoming 
to live in that new reality and to start being transformed by it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about Exeter Vineyard Church, head over to our website, www.exe.vin.com.